today we're taking a break from our current series, Letters to Leaders, to celebrate mom. So, hi mom. My mom's watching. I think she's watching online. Love you. But if you have your Bibles, we'll be in John chapter 19, so you can open up there. And um, before we get rolling today, can we just acknowledge, like, the Mother's Day elephant in the room? Chris touched on it a little bit. And, uh, like, I don't mean to rain on anyone's parade, but Mother's Day isn't all sunshine and flowers for everyone. For many of us, Mother's Day can be really hard. See, Romans chapter 12, verse 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And so whether, you're lo- whether you've lost your mother or, or maybe you've never known your mother, maybe you and your mom don't get along or you and your child don't get along. Maybe you've lost a child. And maybe you've been trying to be a mom and you're trying and trying and it's just not working. Maybe mom is sick right now and you're worried about losing her. Wherever you're at, here's what I want to encourage you to do today. If you know someone that could be struggling today, if you know someone that could be having a hard time, just reach out and encourage them. Love on them. And if you're blessed enough to be sitting here today with your mom, give her a kiss on the cheek. For real. Like right now, kiss your mama, right? Because, I mean, whether you celebrate today or whether you weep, we're with you and we love you and God loves you. There was a science teacher giving her class a lesson on magnets. Uh, She explained how magnets worked, and then she showed how magnets worked by using a magnet to pick up paper clips and staples and things like that. Uh, She tried to keep the lesson really simple. After all, it was only a second grade class, right? Well, the next day, there was a pop quiz about the previous day's lesson, and one of the questions on the quiz was, my name has six letters, The first letter is M, and I pick things up. What am I? Now, the teacher was shocked to find that only half the class got it right. The other half of the class, mostly boys, put the word mother instead of magnet. (laughs) That makes sense, right? Both start with M, both pick things up. (laughs) That's mom, though, huh? I mean, there's nothing quite like the love of a mother. She will love her child no matter what they do. It's incredible. My mom and I uh, have been through some, some good times, and, and we've been through some hard times, some difficult times. And I've got to be honest, I've not always been a loving son. I've not always honored my mother well. Yet even at my worst, my mom still looked out for my needs. She still concerned herself with my well-being. There are some horrible things that moms have to endure. I think one of the worst things that can happen has to be to watch your child die, to to be powerless to help them. Like, I can't imagine. And how much worse would this have been for Mary, the mother of Jesus? I mean, Jesus was perfect. He didn't deserve this. He wasn't a criminal. He He was the son of God. And she stood at the cross and watched him as he bled and suffered. And she's recalling family dinners. She's recalling late nights with her son in the Holy Scriptures. This was the child the angel told Mary about. This was the child that kings came to visit in a stable. How did we get here? Look at verse 25. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother 
and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Now, these verses are unique because they only appear in the Gospel of John. And it makes total sense, right? Because John was the one that was entrusted to care for Jesus' mother. He's the one telling of the moment that Jesus entrusted her. Notice the, final, the, the, the first word in, in verse 25, but. It's an adversative conjunction. In the Greek language, it was used, it was used to, to show strong contrast, right? Our author John is offering stark contrast between the different types of people that's been at the cross that he's been writing about. And if you know the book of John, you know that he, he talks about those mocking Jesus, there are soldiers gambling for Christ's clothing, but now, right? John's saying, but now. He wants to contrast that, those that are at the foot of the cross. And so we're going to focus today on the women that are at the foot of the cross. Now, I want you to understand, these aren't just Jesus' words. These are some of Jesus' final words. In fact, there are seven statements Jesus makes on the cross in his final moments. I want you to see them all together. I just really in, in, enjoyed seeing those this week. I want to share them with you. First, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Right? So Jesus prays for the forgiveness of others. Truly incredible moment. Next, he says, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Wow. So in his pain, Jesus reconciles a sinner. And then our third one, we're going to spend more time going into it today, but woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. So Jesus shows compassion to his widowed mother. It's incredible. The fourth one, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus suffered our separation. And then later, knowing that everything had been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Really, really cool moment. Wish we could go into it more today. But Jesus fulfilled the one remaining prophecy that was yet to be unfulfilled. Really cool moment. The next time, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So we know Jesus accomplished what he came to do. And then the last one, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. Jesus' final act is to trust the Father. I love that. Seven statements made by Jesus during the six-hour period that he hung on the cross. See, a person's final words carry a lot of weight. Can't say the same for their first words, although new parents would like to think different. It was a competition between Kristen and I to, to be the first parent that Nolan would address. Would it be Dada? Would it be Mama? You guys want to know? You guys want to find out? Can, can we do this real quick, though? Um, how many of you are on Team Mama? Can we see it? Okay. All right. Team Dada? All right. Just so we have evidence um, moving forward. But let's check this out. Is there anything you want to say? Nolan. Nolan. Say dad, dad. 
to have that recorded what a slap in the face it would have been if he would have been like mama right but here we are this is us hanging on every utterance as if our nine-month-old had anything of significance to say like for real sorry like I love you Nolan but that was underwhelming because <laughs> first words just don't carry a lot of weight but final words do because you've lived you've loved You've learned. See, when we look at the last words of Jesus Christ, think about it. Jesus is doing some of his greatest work in these moments. He is uttering the heart of God into creation. It's beautiful. These, these final words from Jesus actually give us line of sight into who God is. We get to see God. So what I want us to do today is focus on these four women we're going to look at these brave women that refuse to allow Jesus to suffer alone. And then I want to focus on the brokenhearted mother that refused to let her own pain and her own suffering keep her from showing up for her son. Verse 25 introduces us to these four women. But for now, like I said, let's put Mary, the mother of Jesus, aside and let's focus on the other three. How many of you have seen The Passion of Christ? Anybody? Okay. All right, cool. Yeah. Um, some of you, <laughs> it's a big rock. I think it's been out, if you're living under a rock, I think it's been under, out for like 16 years now. Um, so you might want to go watch that one, but great. This movie, um, it depicts the final 12 hours in the life of Jesus on the day of his crucifixion. And I must say, it's not an easy film to watch. In fact, can we all just agree that being a witness to a crucifixion would be extremely, extremely difficult? Like, there would be blood everywhere. Haters shouting and spitting at criminals. The criminals in public agony for all to see. It would be awful. Not to mention the added difficulty that comes when you're related to someone suffering through a crucifixion. See, being witness to that kind of punishment, that would be difficult for anyone. But what stands out to me is that of all the people that would be standing at the foot of the cross of Christ, it's four women and one man. You with me? So when Jesus is touring countryside performing miracles, his popularity at an all-time high, his followers growing in numbers every day, during this time in Jesus' ministry, he's surrounded by men claiming dedication to the kingdom of God. But when Jesus was sentenced to the crucifixion, forced to carry his own cross, when he was nailed to a tree and humiliated for all to see, he's surrounded by women showing dedication to the kingdom of God. Where are his disciples? Where's Andrew? Where's Philip? Where's Thomas? Where's Peter? After all, isn't Peter the one that said, even if all fall away, I never will? Okay, Peter, where are you at? Like, yeah, sure, John's there, but come on. Now, I, I want to be careful here because my passion isn't surprised that women came through as much as it is disappointment that the men didn't. Okay, I want to make that really clear. Like, if you know your Bible, you shouldn't be surprised. In fact, I think if, if, if more feminists spent time in the word, they'd drop the stereotype that Christianity is male-dominant. It's not. There were powerful, powerful women in the Bible. How about Miriam, Moses' sister? Remember her? One of the great worship leaders of all time. Like, I'm sorry, Eli, 
I love this kid, but like if Miriam were still around, just saying, look out. Then there's Deborah. Deborah was a political giant, an infectious leader that many men were anxious to follow. Abigail, she was married to David. She helped redirect an entire nation. Esther, she was named queen of Persia. Huldah, she was a prophetess, right? Many more women in the New Testament. Priscilla, Julia, Junia, Euodia, and Sintichi. Now, if you're looking for Bible names for your daughter, like maybe take a hard pass on that last one. Like, plus sin for short, like... It just doesn't work for me. But these, 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 just, these aren't honorable mentions, people. These, these women move dirt for the kingdom of God. Here's what Paul says about Euodia and Sintichi in Philippians chapter 4, verse 3. He says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. I love that. Listen to me. The future of the church needs to be in the hands of men and women who labor in the gospel. Look back at verse 25. You may have noticed this before, but three of the women in the verse were named what? Mary. Mary. Now, Mary was a pretty common name back then, right? We, we're seeing that. It, it's, a, it's common among the Jews to name their daughter after Miriam. Remember? The Moses, Moses' sister. Now, before we get to Mary, the mother of Jesus, let's talk about his mother's sister, we, we know that her name is Salome from Mark chapter 16. Salome, the wife of Zebedee, the mother of James and John, two apostles of Jesus, right? Um, we know that they owned a family fishing business in Galilee. And you might recall that this was the woman who came to Jesus asking for a favor. You remember this? So what is it you want, Jesus asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Now, see, I would imagine that James and John never heard the end of this one, right? I can hear Philip right now. Ooh, somebody somebody needs mommy to get a seat, right? But that's Jesus' aunt, and she's there at the foot of the cross in his final moments. Next, we have Mary, the wife of Clopas. Well, who's Clopas? Okay, right? (laughs) My thoughts exactly. We, we don't know much about her. We do know that um, she was the mother of the apostle James, the son of Alphaeus, which is another way of saying Clopas. She is known as the other Mary. Now, I got to be honest with you. Like, if there was another Josh on staff and I got assigned to be the other Josh, like, y'all might need to find a new pastor like, sorry, this ain't going to work out, you know? Like, they, they I, sometimes I think the Bible needs to start handing out numbers, like Mary 1, Mary 2, Mary 3, because it's, it's all so confusing. So the other Mary, this Mary, which is the other Mary, are you confused yet? The other Mary was the one who kept a vigil at Jesus' tomb with Mary Magdalene. You remember that? She was one of the women who went to the tomb on the morning of the resurrection, and she was one of the women who tried, although unsuccessfully, tried to convince the disciples and the apostles that that Christ had risen. Finally, the last of our brave female followers, Mary Magdalene. She's probably the most famous in Scripture besides Jesus' mother. she, She has an interesting story. 
she, she led a life of sin, and she was ultimately, she was cleansed by Jesus and ultimately dedicated her life to following after him. Um, she's called Mary Magdalene because she grew up in a town called Magdala, which you can still see the ruins of Magdala today. And I've never been to Israel. Has anyone been blessed to, to go on a trip there? That's awesome. I, I know Pastor Steve has gone a few times with members from the church, and so maybe, maybe I'll get an opportunity to do that one of these days with some of you. Um, but the Bible says that seven demons, seven demons were cast out of Mary Magdalene. I mean, that makes for quite a testimony, right? That's, that's crazy. And, and this is what Jesus said of Mary. I love this. He says, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. Love is evidence of forgiveness. Beautiful. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. So there you have it. Three women, brokenhearted, brave, fearless women standing at the foot of the cross. But I want to shift our focus to the woman that was suffering more than anyone else. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Look at this again with me. Verse 26, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. See, all the other Marys need to kind of step down at this time because of all the people in the crowd that day witnessing the crucifixion, this had to be the hardest on Mary. It's, I can't imagine. That was her son. Her son, people. Like, look at how they hate him. Look at how they're treating him. Why can't they just see my son, my boy, the way I see him? Why can't they see that he only wants to help them? Try to remember back with me to early parenthood. Remember parenting a baby? Remember the people who were always more comfortable around your baby than you wanted them to be? You know who I'm talking about? Like, you with me? Dads, moms, like the lady at Walmart that loves babies but forgets it's inappropriate to like take yours out of the stroller without asking. You're like, oh my gosh, baby. I, I remember being that overprotective dad. Like someone would be holding Nolan and I'm just thinking in my head, like, you drop him, I'm gonna drop you. You know, like this is, this is gonna go down. Mary and Joseph had a similar uh, weird baby lover moment in the temple with baby Jesus. It's a really cool moment uh, in Luke chapter two. I want you to check this out. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother. So he's talking to Mary now. Listen to this. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed 
Check this out. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. I don't know about you. I, I pictured Mary and Joseph just booking it from the temple. Like, babe, you got the stroller? Yeah, you got the baby? All right, let's go. Keep walking. Don't look back, you know? We got to get out of here. Where do we park? Did you catch that last line from Simeon? He looks Mary in the eye and says, a sword will pierce your own soul too. See, Mary's suffering began long before Jesus hung on that cross. Is as he began to develop into the man that he would be, the God-man that he would be. Remember uh, when his worried parents finally found him after three days of searching? Remember that? And Jesus says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Or what about when Jesus heard that Mary and his brothers wanted to see him? He said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And so finally, we have Mary's suffering hitting an an all-time high on the cross as she watches her son suffer and die. This isn't the first time in Scripture we're told of someone's eventual suffering only to watch it come true. But I will tell you this, it's the most notable woman sufferer we have in God's Word. But is that not the heart of a mother right there? Simeon warned Mary that there would be no Hollywood ending here. She walked in that temple with a baby, and she walked out of that temple with a baby and a promise. Yet she remained faithful. She raised Jesus. She loved Jesus. She cared for Jesus' needs until the day that he died. We've received a similar promise to what Mary received. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. That's a promise. And the reason that we can take comfort in our suffering is because God knew about your suffering. He predicted it, and he's already overcome it. This also stood out to me in our text. You see, compassion is selflessness lived. Compassion is the act of being selfless. Jesus shows extraordinary compassion on the cross, especially towards his mother. I mean, think about it. Have you ever been around someone that's in incredible pain? I have. In no way am I trying to make light of this. Physical pain is no joke, but what do people that are in pain often talk about? Their pain, right? Their pain. Because it's all you can think about. When you're in pain, you can think about you and yourself and your pain and what you're experiencing. Listen to me. Jesus is on the cross, and it's not a cross like the one you see over here to your left. It's not all sanded down and lacquered up. It's raw, and so is his back. Bone on wood, scraping up and down every time he needs to take a breath. And so far... All of his thoughts have been about other people. Not his pain, not his suffering, but others. Father, forgive them. Today you will be with me in paradise. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. It's incredible. It's amazing to me that Jesus, in his excruciating pain, is focused on the needs of others over his own. 
And as I contemplated that this week, I thought there's yet another accurate picture of a godly mother. Selflessness, compassion, a heart to serve the needs of others. I'll tell you this, culture can try to come after the role of men and women all they want, but I hope they're up for a fight. Because the truth is, nothing on earth is more beautiful than seeing Christ be magnified through both the man and the woman. But it's Mother's Day, so men, back off. It's not your turn yet. Another thing to notice here is God's desire to provide for his family. See, modern culture elevates the individual to complete and utter supremacy. Right? So, so individual rights, desires, all of it is far more important than your family's values or desires for you. See, what is of greatest importance is that you do what's right for you and you pursue, pursue your dreams and you determine what's right and wrong in your eyes. That's individualism in Western society. That's America right there. Okay, so Jesus literally has the world, the weight of the world on his shoulders. And I know like a lot of, a lot of us like to say, Josh, I'm just, oh, I'm really struggling this, this week. I just feel this incredible weight. And don't get me wrong. I, I hear you. I've been there. I know where you're at. Look, Jesus Christ actually had the world bearing down on him actually had the weight of the world. Your agony, your pain, your suffering, your separation. He suffered more than you can possibly imagine, and yet he's thinking of his mom, not his pain. See, as the oldest, he was responsible to make sure she was taken care of in the event of his death. And so as Jesus hangs there fighting for every breath, individualism in this moment would say, what do I need? What do I desire? How can I make this better for me? Yet near the end, he's still thinking about his family responsibilities. Jesus is putting more value on the family than the individual. Jesus shows us that family is an incredibly, incredibly important. But there are other cultures Certainly not in this one, but there are other cultures where family is all important. The family name is all important. It's all about living up to your family's expectations and pleasing your family. It's more important than anything else. Don't you dare bring embarrassment to the family name. Either side of the spectrum you land on, you have an idol problem. Right? You're either idolizing the family or you're idolizing the individual. You want to know what Jesus is saying? See, Jesus is saying that people who believe in me, people who are in Christ, have a stronger bond than they do with the members of their own blood family. This is the real bond, Jesus' blood. See, when it uh, comes right down to it, your social class doesn't matter. Your race doesn't matter. Your family name doesn't matter. Your background doesn't matter. Nothing matters more than your belief in him. See, our culture elevates the individual. Some cultures elevate the family name. Jesus' culture elevates the king to his rightful place on the throne. No other culture is like this. I mean, think about it. Come on. Like, we know that Mary had Jesus without any help from Joseph. Right? I mean, come on. We, we know that Joseph helped provide and take care of the home after, and took care of Jesus after he was born. Mary and Joseph would have four boys besides Jesus. Now, I won't get into the family tree or anything like that, but the obvious question here is, why didn't Jesus place his mother under the care of his other brothers? Why? 
Well, the first and most obvious reason is that none of Jesus' family were believers yet. Only Mary. Mm. Now, I get it. They would catch on after the resurrection, but none of them were believers now. Jesus was not about to place the care of his mother to an unbeliever. The other reason Jesus went with John, well, really twofold, right? Because John was there. Let's not understate that. John is there and no one else is, but also because he loved John and John loved him. Like, are you seeing how great this is? I mean, it's huge. Because what this means is the gospel of Jesus Christ says blood, race, social standing, strong family, poor family, good background, background bad background, none of it matters. It's all insignificant because face up with God, we're all just sinners. None of that other stuff carries weight in the kingdom of God. Jesus values belief over blood. And I don't know where you're coming in today, but I needed to hear that this week. Love that. As I studied this third statement, from Jesus on the cross this week. I just couldn't shake the power behind this act of faith by these women, especially Mary. Like, if I had to tag someone as a biblical hero of mine that isn't Jesus, like, before this week, I probably would have said Peter. I've just always loved Peter, his passion, his confidence. I've, I've always admired those things about him. But the truth is, Peter denied Jesus three times. Mary stood at the foot of the cross all night. It looks like I found a new hero. That's what moms do, don't they? They show up when no one else does. And if I'm being honest, I'm guilty of taking that for granted. And I'm sure a lot of you too are too. The title of this message was called is Mama's Boy. And not only am I making the claim that Jesus was a mama's boy, but I'm a mama's boy too. Proud of it? It used to be like a line people would use in high school to make fun of you. <laughs> then it became kind of on the other spectrum, kind of weirdly embraced, right? I would say I'm somewhere in the middle. I love my mom. I'm blessed to have a strong relationship with her, but we didn't completely avoid hardship. See, when I was 16, uh, my parents had, we, we'd just gone through the divorce and um, we moved from Indiana to Arizona. My mom stayed in Indiana. I moved to Arizona. And I, I'll be honest, I was excited to move. I was looking forward to a new school, new friends, new girlfriend, right, right, the, the whole thing. I'm just seeing new everywhere, right? And obviously, the move wasn't easy for my mom. It was a struggle for her. All she could see was what she lost. And so I did. I distanced myself out of selfishness. I just didn't want to deal with the negativity. I didn't want to deal with that. And so really, from my sophomore year in high school to my freshman year in college, we had very little relationship. And I got to be honest, I got to own a majority of that. I didn't call back. I didn't text back. I was a teenage fool, and I was incapable of caring about anyone or anything other than myself. In 2007, I was going to school in Southern California, and I was driving back to school from Arizona after summer break, and it just hit me. I miss my mom. So I called her, and we picked up right where we left off. We never looked back. She didn't need a letter of apology from me that day. 
I was the one that created the distance, yet she kept trying to own it for us. I, I could have done this, Josh. I, I could have done that. I could have tried harder here. I shouldn't have done it this way. I learned a lot that day, folks, about how women view themselves as mothers. And then marriage taught me even more. Mothers hold themselves to such a high standard, a standard no one else holds themselves to. Like they, they refuse to keep record of wrongs for anyone but themselves. See, they're selfless to the point of destruction. Moms, listen to me. If Jesus paused on Calvary to meet the needs of his earthly mother, like in a moment of humiliation, pain, and exhaustion, he saw past his own needs to hers, then how much more can he meet your needs today as he sits at the right hand of God? How much more do you think he'll look out for the needs of you, his sister, by belief? I'm going to close by giving you three ways that I've learned to love mom like Jesus. So feel free to put it... In put it in your playbook. You ready? Number one, words. Say the words. Mom, I love you. Call her. Text her. Tell her. Like just because you think she knows doesn't mean she doesn't need to hear it. Jesus said, woman, behold your son. Now, you go around the house today, right, calling your mom woman, right, you, you, you may need to wear a helmet. Okay, just saying. But it's actually translated dear woman. It's a term of respect and honor. It's more like yes ma'am than woman. And since masculinity seems to be under attack, let me just toss this out there. Real men say I love you mom. They do. The second way that you can love mom like Jesus is hugs and kisses. Now, this one's a challenge for me to talk about because I know what my wife would give to hug and kiss her mom again. If mom is still around, let me say this. If mom is still around, when was the last time you hugged her without her asking for one? I mean, she was the first one to hug you. I mean, think about it. She didn't just hug you. She toted around your nutrient-hogging self for nine months. You became of first importance to her. She cuddled you. She held you. She rocked you. She kissed your face. She kissed your toes. She changed your diapers. Potty trained you. Wiped your boogers. Wiped the food off your face. We have grown men in here and moms still wiping food off their face. <laughs> Telling mom you love her and giving her hugs and kisses and it means more to her than flowers, candy, dinner at her favorite hotspot, even a diamond necklace. Sorry, too far, moms? Right, we put the necklace back on. <laughs> Hugs and kisses. Number three, honor. I use that word a lot these days, huh? Love mom honorably. See, on the cross, Jesus is honoring his father and his mother. He is fulfilling the fifth commandment. Exodus 20, honor your father and your mother. And you might say, well, Josh, you don't know what I, you know, I would honor her, but she was never very honorable. Okay, so I would just say, hey, go back and let's read that again. Did you see an if or an unless in there? Because I didn't. 
right? I didn't say love and honor your father and your mother if they're honorable, if they're believers, or if they're cool, or if they're nice, or if they bought you a new car when you were younger. No, just, just, just honor your father and your mother, period. And it's the only commandment that comes with a promise. Honor them so that you may live long in the land of the Lord your God is giving you. I want to leave you with this. One of the greatest gifts that Jesus gave us from the cross was the church. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. We're told to be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. The church is the family of God on earth. It's intended to be a loving, caring, sustaining, encouraging family of belief, not blood. A place where mothers find sons and sons find mothers. If we're following Christ, folks, no one in this place should be without a loving family today. No one. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the role of mother in our lives. Lord, there is no greater picture of the kind of selflessness that you're trying to teach us about. And Lord, I understand that's not everyone's experience with earthly mom. But Lord, I, I would like to assure them in this moment and may your spirit comfort them that you are the perfect combination of mom and dad. You are loving, you are gentle, you are firm, you are strong, you're attentive, you provide, you direct, you encourage. And Lord, you forgive. A lot of us in this place, we need your forgiveness. We need to come to you. We just need to call you on our way back to school. And Lord, like my mom was faithful to do, you say that you will be faithful to forgive us. And so in these next moments, Lord, we do, we focus on you, your grace, your mercy, your love for us, and your forgiveness.